Welcome to What Are You Not Working On? A creative coaching podcast. My name is Devin Preston, and I am here to help you finish or start or just get back to all those projects that you are not working on. My guest today is Colin McNamara. Colin is a streamer and writer and one half of Six String Games. Colin, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Dev. This is awesome to be here, man. Much appreciated. Why don't you uh, introduce yourself to the audience and tell us a little bit about this project that you are not working on. (laughs) So I'm Colin McNamara. I'm one half of Six String Games. We're a reasonably new but prolific TTRPG company. We make tabletop role-playing games. We put out a new game every single month, which is exhausting, (laughs) but we're quite proud of what we've put out. I got my degree in creative writing in college, uh, so I've been writing in some form or another forever, and then it's only in the last couple of years when a few world events forced all of us inside and we had a lot more time that I left my lucrative career as a lawyer to instead write and follow my passions and, and do what I love full time, and um, that's making games, making things that people can play and enjoy and that is the best feeling in the world you know i like to make games and make people happy which is why it's so ironic that i've started writing a game that's making me very unhappy because i can't finish the damn thing (laughs) and so that game is a game that i call godling it's a game about the children of gods and mortals people who are kind of trapped in between the immortal and the mortal they are the few stuck between the the masses and the immortals and it started as a great idea and i worked really hard on it and i wrote tons of material and it's just kind of uh hit a wall it's just completely run into a wall so that's where i'm at right now i don't know what to do with it now but i really want to do it i want this game to exist it just got frustrated so you worked on it a bunch and then and you've hit a wall. So I think the first thing that I w- would want to ask is looking at your process and looking at this project that you're blocked on, is that something that you want to change soon or is it something that you just don't have like time and space for? I do think I have the I have the time and I have the headspace to make this game. Um where I feel like I got hung up was I you get you get excited about an idea, you feel like you've got something brilliant and you start writing it and and it, it's it comes out, it flows out, and I feel like where I hit the wall was I hit a point where what I was writing no longer excited me. It no longer felt like the thing that got me so hopped up in the first place. I'm like, no, this isn't the game. Like that's no, no. The game I came up with was brilliant. What is this? The excitement's not there. I'm, it's not hitting me the way it was and i'm trying to like recapture that initial spark that really drove me to make this game in the beginning and it's just kind of not there right now and i would love to find it again yeah do you have a sense of why that happened i i don't i i well so i tend to start games my process for making games is weird and i don't think it's the way that most people do it to be honest with you so the way i tend to do it is I think of mechanics first, which is strange. And I, I, I think of, when I, when I say mechanics in the game sense, you know, I'm talking, when I want to make X happen, what dice do I have to roll? What cards do I have to pull? And what do the results mean? I tend to think of those things first in pretty broad strokes, pretty basic, because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not a hyper-mechanical kind of guy, but I do think of those things first. And then I work backward and think, what kind of stories could be told with mechanics like this. And that was how Godlings started. The initial kind of thing that spurred me on here, I had some in, some inspiration from some other games, particularly the work of Spencer Campbell and his system that he created, the Lumen System. Mm-hmm. And the Lumen System is built around this idea of having three, just three stats, three basic stats. One for being strong, one for being fast, one for being smart. I had this weird idea of what if, because I started writing my own Lumen game, and then it morphed. Originally started as a Matrix game, inspired by the Matrix. I was watching a lot of Matrix movies at the time. And I had this fun idea of like, what if you could play as the one? And I started writing that game, and then uh, it morphed over time into me kind of having these deep ruminations on like, what does it mean to be the one? What is the difference between the one and everybody else? There's like three distinct groups of people in the Matrix. There's the masses, there's the many, 
which are the people who are all plugged in to the matrix and have no idea what's going on. And then there's the few who are the people who are aware of what's going on. They are awakened to the truth and they are the humans who live outside the matrix. And then there's, there's the one, there's Neo, who's not only aware of what's going on, but he can actually change it. When he's, when he's in the Matrix, he can morph reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what makes him different than everybody else. And I thought that was really cool. And like this concept of the many, the few, and the one was interesting to me. So I started writing mm-hmm. based on this many, few, one concept. And I had this idea of what if we make a game where we're continuously building the world because the stats of it, the stats in the game are basically just many, few, and one. And anytime you go to do something, anytime you attempt to do something, we, the group, the table, the table decide, is that thing you're trying to do something that can be done by many people, by just a few people, or really only by you? Uh, Mm -hmm. Or really only by someone of exceptional ability or very specific ability. I thought that would be cool. Like, we were, we're constantly making the world by making these decisions. And mm-hmm. it's coloring the way the world works. And then I started thinking, okay, now that I've got that concept that came from my Matrix idea, what kind of story would be cool to tell with this other than the Matrix? And I, I had this idea of, you know, there's the many, which are normal people. There's, there's the, the one or the ones, which are like gods, people who are of exceptional ability. And then there's the people who are stuck in between. Mm-hmm. who are their, their kind of children who walk between those two worlds. They occupy that, that line, that liminal space that uh, they are the few, they are set apart. And that is interesting to me. So I, I thought the idea of having children of gods and mortals would be a very fun, rich vein of story, too, to, to mm-hmm. work with. And, you know, all the, I started, my, my brain started going all different places of all the fun you could have depending on which, which pantheon of gods you want to use. It all sounded really, really, really cool, and I just don't know what to do with it anymore. I, I've hit this wall with it where I I feel like I don't remember why I was writing it in the first place. Okay. So, like, I think part of, honestly, Devin, part of the help you can give me is recapture why I thought this was a good <laughs> idea in the first place. Because <laughs> I don't know right now. I don't, I don't, I'm yeah. not feeling it the way it was. Yeah, well, well, let's let's get into that. So you you tell the story of making this game, and you say that you caught this spark, and you took off, and immediately started getting some content, getting some stuff made, and then hitting a wall. And when I heard you talk about it, what I heard was that there were two sparks. That there was this mechanical idea of the many, the sorry, the the many, the few, and the one, Correct. and then there was the second spark of the this this thematic material of the godlings mm. being between between gods and and mortals. So I'm curious about if those are those two different things that both still excite you or was it really the the synergy between them? Mm. Yeah, you know, that is a good point because the mechanical aspect, I thought of a few different ways to do it and I started changing it as I was going on um, mm-hmm. about the way that that dice rolls would work in this game. And, you know, the mechanics actually did come first. You know, weirdly, this started from me thinking, oh, I was playing Settlers of Catan. That's what it was. I was playing uh-huh. Settlers of Catan. And how in Settlers of Catan, when you roll a seven, you get to move the robber baron in it. And the, the reason why they designed the mechanics that way, of course, is because if you're rolling two six-sided dice and adding the results together, seven is the most statistically likely result. So I started having this mechanical idea of what about a game where the only thing that matters is rolling sevens? You have to roll sevens. So, like, I had this idea of a, a weird way to do this would be, like, if you're trying to do something that is god-tier, something that is godlike immortal-like, you can only do it if you roll a seven. Sevens mm-hmm. are the only thing that counts. If you're trying to do something more godling-ish, you want to go high, above a seven. If you want to do something more mortal, you want to go below a seven. Mm-hmm. And it lets you get all that out of just 2d6. Sure. This was inspired by a few other games that do this. So, like, yeah, there was that mechanical spark, as you said, right? Like, that was, like, playing with mechanics is fun to me. I like... I like taking normal conventions from games and screwing with them a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then I just don't... Whenever I'm doing something that I feel like... This is a problem for me, Devin, and maybe you can help me with this. Whenever I feel like I'm doing something that has been done and done to death, I get bored. Immediately. Mm. I get bored. Because I'm like, I'm not pushing... I'm not pushing the envelope. I'm not 
changing games. I'm not doing something new and interesting and daring. I'm doing something that's safe. And when, when something feels safe, I don't get excited about it. If it, if it feels like the ground is well-trodden and it's, it's been done and done to death, you know, it started out as me feeling like I was doing something new and interesting. And okay. as I wrote it, as I wrote it, it uh -huh. became it became like this has been done. This is like I've played this game before. This is not new. You're not doing anything new. And now, do you have that experience as a player when you sit down to play a game that you haven't played before? Mm. If it feels similar or the same mechanically to another game? Yes, I do. I do. I don't like sitting down and playing a game and feeling like, oh, this is just a reskin of that other game I played before. You know. I'm a huge fan of the game Monster of the Week. It's one of my favorite games of all time. I adore Monster of the Week. It's, it was the first PBTA game I ever played. And I think it's a brilliant game. But I've played so many other games now that are just like it because they're all built on the same core system. And, it, you know, it's a PBTA. And there's a million of them. And, you know, Urban Shadows has some different things, but a lot of it is the same, you know? These are not bad games. They're great games. They're, they're, I'd loved, I still love playing them. I want to keep playing them. I, don't, I just don't feel like they're doing anything totally new and exciting. What... You know, an example of a game that changed things was like Blades in the Dark. That Blades in the Dark, also by John Harper, started as a PBTA. It began its life as a PBTA. And John Harper slowly changed those mechanics. And I think as the process of the game went on, of making it, you know, you start to find... When you start to find your themes, when you really find your themes that you want to emphasize, you can start finding ways to change your mechanics to back up those themes and bolster them a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And I think Blades did a great job of that. It switched from a 2d6 to more of a dice pool system, and that worked better for it. It's a little more deadly. It's a little more unpredictable. It's a little more explosive. That fits the theme really, really well, you know? And I, I with the mechanics of this game, with Godlings, to bring it back to mm -hmm. Godlings, I haven't feel like I've, I do not feel like I found that point where, okay. where I know what I'm going for and... I'm writing mechanics that really reinforce and bolster those themes. It just, it's not there, and I don't know mm -hmm. what it's missing, really. So I'm hearing that you have, you started out with a mechanical, I mean, you started, it started out as a hack, right? You yeah, started out yeah, with sort of, absolutely. like, you already had your mechanical structure, mm -hmm. and along the way, you've tried some, some new mechanical space, but you haven't found anything that's really landing with the themes. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and... So I'm curious in that, when you were playing around with the mechanics, did you try anything? The mechanical changes that you were trying, were they still rehashes of other people's sort of experimentations that you've seen in other games, or did you try some some new things both. for yourself? Both. Yeah, yeah definitely both. I, I'd say most things I do with games, a lot of them start as things that I've seen other people do, and then I just tweak, mm -hmm. I, I tweak things you know like it's it's bloody hard to come up with mechanics off the top of your dome it, mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. i've tried you know i've done it for some things but it is hard to, to start from scratch especially because there is and it's not always advisable to i should say that it's not always advisable to start from scratch because people do tend to in games in all role-playing games people tend to gravitate toward what they already know uh, sure yeah and and they they'll gravitate toward what what feels familiar enough and it actually and that's why i think the pbta thing is actually a good thing like it, it's good when you pick up a game like thirsty sword lesbians and you play it and you're like oh okay it's just like monster of the week like okay this feels comfortable this like if i know that game this feels comfortable this feels familiar it it makes the learning curve not as steep so like there's nothing wrong with that at all there's nothing wrong mm -hmm. with with hacking I, I god knows i hack games all the time and and Lots of great games have been born out of hacks. Lots of brilliant games have been born out of hacks. But, like, there is something really satisfying about coming up with your own mechanics whole cloth. Mm -hmm. And I think some of the feeling that I was getting of, like, this feels rote, this feels trodden, was because I wasn't doing enough of coming up with my own stuff. And a lot of it was stuff that I was adapting from other material. And I think maybe I need to... I, you tell me, but I, I think... Perhaps I need to just get over that. I need to get over the, like, it's got to be all original or else it's not cool thing, you know? I've, I, obviously, I just got done saying seconds ago that people like things that are familiar. But right. I, find a, I find a great amount of personal satisfaction in making something whole cloth. I, mm -hmm. I, I do. That, that feel, as a creator, 
as a as a as a game developer, that feels more like leaving your mark on. Mm-hmm. That feels more like leaving your mark on the art, leaving your mark on the medium, when you come up with something new, and then you know, <laughs> with the greatest feeling is that someone then takes it and hacks your thing, and so, right. you know this is so good that it's worth being copied. Right. That's great. And I really yeah. do want to do that. So I, I wanted Godlings to be my thing that was something new and something totally original. And it's just kind of not there. It, it's just a lot of it is stuff that's been done, I feel like has been done before. And I don't feel like I was changing things in a way that really... Like the things I was changing, I felt like I was teasing around the margins. I don't feel like I was changing it in such a way that it's really, one, reinforcing my themes, and two something that is hackable and kind of worthy of emulation and, and really changes the art. That That's what I'm really going for, I guess. Yeah, I think that one of the things that I'm hearing that I want to pull apart a little bit is mm-hmm. it seems like you have a really clear goal as a designer. You know, like you have, right, like the, the John Harper Blades in the Dark is, is a great example of mm-hmm. a game that comes out. It's it, it has a fresh take on familiar mechanics and then becomes this new thing that a lot of people are then taking on as new tech to make their games. Yeah. And, you, you know, you enjoy playing in that mechanical space. You enjoy finding the mechanics that, that really hit the themes of the game. Mm-hmm. And my first question would be, does Godlings need to be the game where you make that happen? Mm. Yeah, like you know, I maybe you get me thinking like, why am I so hung up on that? You know, mm-hmm. wh- why why does it need to? It, it can still be. It, you know, you just heard me say like, it can still be a great game while being a hack. Totally right. Mm-hmm. There is definitely some like pride cooked in here without a doubt mm-hmm. you know some of this comes from like so i i, I I'm, I'm i'm one half of game company right my other and better half is anna and we're not married i don't know why i said it though <laughs> anna's happily married to somebody else <laughs> anna anna is a anna is a wonderful writer and i hope you have her on the show at some point she, she's fantastic brilliant brilliant writer and she is a very more so than me she, anna is a very established TTRPG writer, uh, an established freelancer. They've done a lot of work with Spyhander uh, and Andrews McNeil Publishing, and they've done work with Mage Hand Press and, you know, other companies. They put out lots of great content. And a lot of my work has come working with with Anna. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because of that, when I started writing Godlings, I was like, you know, sort of as a way to prove it to myself, I was like, I'm going to write this on my own like I'm, I'm gonna do this on my lonesome so like and not to say not to say to Anna like I don't need your help but I just wanted to see if I could do it you know without without anybody backing me up um, mm-hmm. you know it, Anna and I when Anna and I write together we truly and I, I guarantee you she'll say the same thing we truly cannot tell you whose idea was what because we were so synergistic in the way that we work that by the time something is done, we have no idea whose idea it originally was, who came up with what. We can't point to our fingerprints on it. We just know that it's a it's a true collaboration. It is the product of two minds working together. And so we'll, we, we put a note on our games that says, you know, unless otherwise noted, every aspect of this game was a collaborative effort between the authors. Because we work together very, very, very well. Best writing partner in the world. But one thing that Anna does for me really well is get me over my bullshit. And, and 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 Anna pushes me past, you know, Colin. You're hung up on this thing. Like you're hung up here. Like, move mm-hmm. on. Don't worry about it. It's you know, it's almost like um, if you can't make your own, store bought is good enough. You know, mm-hmm. if you can't make your own mechanics, store bought mechanics are good enough. McNamara, it's fine. But <laughs> this game, I I kind of purposely went out on my own, so I don't have Anna here in my ear telling me that. Right. And so I'm, but you know, part of that was an experiment of a. Uh, what if I do get hung up and maybe I can get past it? You know, maybe I can make these new mechanics and and do it all from scratch, so to speak. And does this, I mean, your question was, does this game need to be the game where I do that? No, you know, honestly, no, it doesn't. It doesn't need to be, but I would like it to be. I, I <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't need to be, but I, I, I almost made a, I threw a gauntlet down for myself. I made a challenge for myself with this game. And I, I'm interested, at least, in trying to 
to do that, trying to do something different. And if it takes forever mm-hmm. to write the game, that's fine. I've got plenty of other content. Anna and I are working on plenty of other games. There will be no shortage of six-string games coming out. But if this one takes a while and if I have to torment myself over it, I'm willing to put myself through that pain. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and and that takes us back to sort of my original question, the the place I begin with most of these conversations is, is this something that you want to change? Right, And you do have the option, right? Like, it's your process. Nobody's going to tell you how to do it. Well, if you want, for. you're supposed to tell me. How to do it. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to have it, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know what you're what you're after, right? If you want to have a project that sits on the shelf and and hangs out and is the container, so that when you think of a new funky fresh dice mechanic, you say, "Hey, let me drop that into Godlings and see if that mm. see if that gets the wheels going again." you know mm. or you can say this is a project i really want to work on and the pressure of making it you know the next great american role playing game has stalled me out then you can you can ask yourself well, what does it look like if i take that pressure off mm. and you can you can play around you know you think what do you think though like i think there's a virtue in as you just put it just just playing around mm-hmm. like maybe you don't need the this is what I would tell myself, I guess. But, like, you know, maybe you don't need the perfect mechanic yet, but you can put a mechanic in, and, mm-hmm. like, maybe it can get better later on or something like that. And, you know, you know, I know you were just busting my busting my balls a little bit, but, like, I know, like, I'm not trying to make the next great American role-playing game, right? Like, I, mm-hmm. what I was trying to make with this game was just something that I feel is new. Something mm-hmm. that I feel that I can look at this and say, this changed things a little bit and it, it, whether or not whether or not that means that it's that it gets the recognition and people start hacking it and all that crap but like i wanted to be able to look around this the current state of the art and say you know i did something different i did something differently i took a different approach and so yeah i've had a little bit of an allergy to mechanics that i feel are well trodden i've had a bit of an allergy to uh you know, like a PBTA 2D6 style or Blades in the Dark kind of dice pool. Like, I feel like those have all been done and done to death. And, you know, done to death, I'm being, like, too harsh. They're still great games. They're still fun mechanics. I just wanted to see if I could make something different. And, yeah, like, that whole trying to do something different is what's driving me batty with it. And the question becomes, as you said, like, am I satisfied with that? Or should I just start screwing around and see what happens, you know, with different things. And, you know, I could try that. <laughs> I could try that. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't. One thing with this game is that there's no time pressure. I'm not writing to a deadline. There's no, there's no time that this has to be done by. It could sit on a shelf for years, you know, if I let it. I don't want it to do that because I think I have a cool game, a cool idea that people should play. And I would mm-hmm. like to play it sooner rather than later. But yeah, the, you know, and this is part of a, this is something I would love to talk to you about, by the way. One huge issue with me always has been recently found out I have ADHD. Go figure, because this totally tracks is that I and also I have bipolar disorder. So like I my 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 writing pace and my the energy I have for writing tends to swing pretty wildly from like week to week. You know, if, if you catch me when I'm more manic, I'm going to crank out 2000 words a day. If I'm depressed, then I, you know, I can't write. So, uh, you know, that, that affects things, certainly. And sometimes these ideas come up in the middle of these big bursts of energy, and then you no longer have the energy left for them. But, like, one thing I have noticed about my writing process is that if I give myself an arbitrary deadline, I can make something come out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's when I don't have a deadline. It's when I don't have... And not everything has a deadline, you know, what. It's when I don't, when I'm not writing to a deadline, it's very hard to write because like pressure and urgency are like one of the few things that really motivates my mind to want to work. But that doesn't always, the problem I have with that is like my whole life, that's worked well enough. You know, like when I, yeah, did that mean that in college I had to write all my papers the night before they were due and be up until five in the morning getting them done? Yes, but they got done, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they got mm-hmm. done, but I needed that strong sense of urgency to to write but sometimes that means that the you'll get it done but the quality suffers you know mm. the, 
you don't get the best quality work out of it. So with Godlings, I didn't want to try to hack my brain and give myself some arbitrary deadline and say it's got to be done by then because I didn't think it would make a really good game. And so like, if you know some strategies for this, I'd love to hear them, but like ways to, to motivate yourself to just sit down with the thing and just kind of live with the thing for a little while and, and focus on the problems instead of, like focus on the solutions and what you can do instead of just ruminating and stewing on the problems and never actually doing anything. Cause that's where I feel like I'm stuck right now. Whenever I talk about Godlings to anybody, I say, oh yeah, that game, yeah, I started writing it, kind of stuck, and I'm like almost like too afraid to go back to it because like, I'm just gonna make it worse. I mean, it's just you know, mm. I don't I don't feel like I have that motivation right now. So like, any way to trick yourself into getting that kind of motivation would be great. <laughs> yeah. So this this is reminding me of a method that I teach that's called goal flipping, and goal flipping is when you the you take a goal that you have out in the future say it's you know this this game that has a fresh mechanical take and captures this thematic material right like mm-hmm. it seems like we're pretty clear on what that goal looks like yeah. in the future right and you instead of focusing on that goal you really back up and you look at what are the behaviors that are going to get me towards that goal mm-hmm. and the example that i use when i teach this is when people talk about running a marathon when that's their goal the thing that's difficult about that is that every day you're training for that every every day you're training to run a marathon is a day you didn't run a marathon right <laughs> so every day you have to re-motivate yourself towards mm. that goal in the future whereas if you take that back and really focus on the process that's going to get there every day gets to be a success and every day you get to gas yourself up and help build the habits and behaviors that are going to to get you towards the goal and it's more fun (laughs) and can be more successful so you know if you want to write a game it seems like the the behavior that's going to get there is writing the game Mm. and it sounds like right now that you're not able to to write you know and i it's not entirely without reason i've been working on a lot of other things of course but like yeah no you're right like it's i haven't had that that motivation to do it and you know that's a good point like when you have your your mind set on a big goal like that it it, it's a that process is a lot of work you don't just get up and run a marathon eddie izzard did that i don't know if you ever eddie izzard (laughs) just got up and ran a marathon a couple years ago for charity like with no training at all just ran a marathon which is amazing i don't understand how that's possible but yeah but yeah i mean you have to do so much to get to that point and like to get to the point of having this game be what I want it to be, there's going to have to be... In order to write a game that's 100 pages, I have to write 300 pages of content, probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, a lot of which is bad, and a lot of which will get cut and combined and recombined. And it gets... I always say that games, and this is the way all writing goes, but especially games, is it's like when you're making like a sauce, like they reduce on the stove over time. Like, mm-hmm. you've got to... You, you put it all in and you've got to let a lot just cook off until you're left with just this like delicious concentrated flavor of TTRPG tastiness. You know, there's a lot I have to write for this game to happen. A lot of it is not going to be good. A lot of it's not going to be used. And that's the mm-hmm. way it goes. Like a lot of the stuff you write just doesn't get used or, or it gets recycled. It ends up in another game, you know, down the road somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's no... One thing I'm sort of taking away from this conversation, I guess, is like, there is no substitute for just writing. There is, there is no substitute for, even if it's not what you want it to be, it doesn't have to be what you want it to be right now, right? Like, that's down the road. Mm-hmm. This, this isn't the marathon. This is the, this is the 5K. Like, mm-hmm. but we're going to have to do multiple 5Ks, you know, yeah. to get there. So, yeah, you know, what I, what I miss, though, I guess, about writing this game, what I miss about the early days of writing it was just the fun of it. When something is new and exciting, and you know, again, this is like ADHD brain. When something is novel, novelty is like one of the things that motivates you when you have ADHD. Novelty and urgency are like two of the biggest things. Mm -hmm. And when Godlings was a new, fresh idea, it was new and exciting and novel, and it doesn't feel that way anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's something else I'd like to talk about if you'd like to, of like how to kind of approach a project with fresh eyes because mm-hmm. that's what I'm struggling with it's like I when I go back and I look at the I just open it up when I look at the document now I'm like 
Those are words I wrote two months ago. I don't really like them that much anymore. I, I would change this, I would change that. And it's, it's, it feels, it feels old, you know, and it doesn't have that novelty and excitement to it. So like, I'd, mm -hmm. I'm liking to recapture that. That's what I'd like to get back at of approaching this with fresh eyes and fresh excitement. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. I, I really want to want to capture and reflect back what you just said, because you said that, especially for ADHD brain, mm. the, the things that are really going to motivate you are urgency and novelty, yeah. right? And, and that's pretty clear. And you also said earlier that one of the things that you really didn't want to use, one of the tools in your toolbox that you did not want to use on this project was urgency. Mm. Mm. Right. So if you've taken that away, all you have is novelty, right? Yeah. In terms of those primary tools. So mm -hmm. it makes sense that, yeah, you're going to want to amp up the novelty. You're going to you're going to want to really look for the the places to to leverage that. And uh, yeah, so I just want to reflect back that that's that that's seems pretty reasonable the way that you've described it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it makes that does this make a little bit more sense now why it is I feel so obsessive about like doing new and interesting mechanics because <laughs> I'm like I'm <laughs> right, upping yeah. the novelty factor, you know? Right. So, what are tell me how you so let's let's put godlings on the shelf for sure. a second and yeah, just yeah. talk to me about how you find novelty in your process typically. Mm. Mm. How do I find novelty in my process? So, we have a joke between Anna and I that is. Not a joke because it's absolutely true, but we that those are the best jokes. Yeah, I mean it's it's completely <laughs> true. But that every game that we write starts as a shit post, just mm -hmm. every single time. <laughs> it begins as a, an off the cuff joke most of the time, and then you do you have that moment of unless you know that'd be <laughs> what a stupid game that would be. Who would ever make that unless? And then it you know it begins that way. It begins as a joke and. I think I find novelty. So here's where this isn't. I'm going to use Godlings as an example, but I've definitely seen this in other games I've made. Where what happens is when I. So okay, I should I should start by saying that my approach to tabletop role playing games is I look at them as story games, which mm -hmm. is a derogatory term that that old school gamers came up with for the kind of games that I like that I think has been reappropriated and is not derogatory at all. Like, I had no idea that that was like originally derogatory. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, uh, from like OSR people sure. who were like, yeah, what you're doing is not a game. Like, it's not, you know, there's, they, they would look at like, at some of the games I like to play and say like, oh, those are just story games. Like, it's, like, it's mostly, and I have seen games that definitely I would call, I would call story games in the sense that like basically, and I've written some of these games, in the sense that basically all the game is is like a series of writing prompts pretty much. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and then you just take it and use those as seeds for imp for improv scenes, pretty much, right? And that's fine. Those are fun. I love those. But because that's the way I look at it, I look at role-playing games as structured storytelling. Mm -hmm. uh, structured collaborative storytelling, I should say. It is, or, or my friend, uh, my good friend Kyle used to say, he specifically said this about the game Fiasco, but he said it's like improv with guardrails is a yeah. way to put it. And that... A lot of games are like that. Even a game of Dungeons and Dragons can be can be that, you know. And mm -hmm. all the all the rules are there to do a lot of times is to disclaim decision making and let fate decide certain things. It's like an imp an improv game where occasionally dice decide certain outcomes that people don't, and then we just have to stay true to whatever the dice decide. That's how I look at games, and that's the way I approach games to me it always has been about making a good story together with your friends it's not about you know winning the game it's not competitive it's about it's about telling a good story it's about uh, people people shit on the phrase power fantasy all the time and i don't mm. think that's fair i think a great thing about role-playing games is that people come to the table and maybe in their daily life they feel powerless and they feel powerful when they're at that table they feel cool very I, I, I prefer to not say power fantasy and I just say like cool fantasy. Like you just get to feel okay. cool for a little while, right? Yeah. I think that's the beauty of those games. It also lets you walk in somebody else's shoes for a little while, something that we could all do a little bit more of in our daily lives. Mm -hmm. I think they're good for teaching empathy. I think they're wonderful tools. And so I look, I approach games that way. I approach games in the sense of how can this be used to make a cool story, to make people feel cool, to make people feel powerful, to make people laugh, to make them cry, to do all the great things that stories do, but do it in a, within a structure that sort of guides them. Because not everyone is a phenomenal actor. Not everyone mm -hmm. 
is a great improv comedian. But if you sit down with a really good game, that game will sort of guide you into how to be an effective piece of a story, mm -hmm. an effective character in a story. So when my novelty comes in is when I see a piece of media that I love, when I see a story that I love, when I'm watching Lord of the Rings or, you know, something, it, it, anything, it could be literally anything. But when I feel like I get it, when I like, I feel like I understand an essence of what that thing is, like a distilled little bit of what makes that media great, what makes that story great, what makes that story effective. When I feel like I get it, I then, my brain then turns to, now that you understand how it works, now that you can see the threads, how can that thread be rewoven into a game that mm -hmm. lets people, that lets people tell those kinds of stories? So I was going to say Godlings, but actually a great example of this is the game that Anna and I have been writing for almost two years now is a game called Big Damn Heroes, which was inspired by what well, we, we use the phrase over the top fantasy, heroic fantasy, where fantasy that involves heroics and hubris. And a lot of this is inspired by the D&D &D games that we played growing up, where you take your classic fantasy tropes, you take your Lord of the Rings tropes and whatnot, very classic high fantasy tropey characters, and you just make them badass and make them do over the top things. Like, a lot of this was inspired also by Anna growing up reading a lot of pirate stories, which I did too, mm. where there's always, there's swashbuckling. You know, there's never, you never do things the simple way. You got to do it the way that involves three backflips and like cutting a rope and riding it up to the top and doing all kinds of crazy shit like that. That was the huge inspiration. And I found from those stories that I loved so much, I thought, you know, what makes this great? What makes this great? What makes this fun? And... And then how can I make that into a game? How can I how can I capture that and make it into a game? And so like my sense of novelty comes from picking things apart, comes from deconstructing stories to an extent and finding the threads that I can pull. And when I was writing Godlings, of course, I was uh, I was playing a lot of Hades at the time, right? And I was like, what makes this cool? What makes this so mm -hmm. cool? Well, what's cool to it is that, you know, you're interacting with primordial forces beyond your control, but you, they also treat you like you're kind of one of them, even though you're not. And that was interesting to me. You're interacting with these primordial forces that, that guide the world. But what are you after? You're trying to get out so you can go find your mom. Okay? So, like... You're in these two worlds. You're in the world of primordial, powerful forces beyond your comprehension, but also you just want to go find your mommy. And mm -hmm. that's a very human, very mortal impulse to want to find out, to learn more about yourself and find out who your mother is. And I thought that was fascinating. And I'm like, what makes this story great? What makes this story great is that you're torn between these two worlds. And, and what a weird place to be in. And how can I use that to make a compelling game? a game that lets you walk that same line and walk that same space. And so, like, I feel like I hit a lot of novelty, a lot of excitement at the beginning of a project when I feel like I figured something out, when I feel mm -hmm. like I've hit where I found what makes this great and how I can exploit it. And what I feel like maybe with Godlings in particular faded over time was, like, I found that, and then I thought at a certain point I reached a point of, like, well, now what? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, you figured out what makes it great. You figured out what makes it interesting. What you haven't figured out is how to make, how to tell a story with that. And now where do you go from here, you know? But this is the same creative process I've used for almost every game I've written. I, you know, I, I find a narrative, I find a story, I find out what I think the essence of it is, and I try to translate that into game terms. And that's a lot mm -hmm. of fun. It's a lot of, a lot of, very much ton of fun to do. And that's when I get very, very excited at the beginning of the creative process. But uh, yeah, you know, I haven't hit that in a while with this game in the past have you had a similar experience of sort of running out of fuel in the middle of the project or near the end of the project yeah mm -hmm. that tends to happen and, and what have you done then see this is where having a writing partner is great because you have somebody to tell you to power through um mm -hmm. just, you know I, I, i'm finishing up a game called altitude right now it's a game about climbing mm -hmm. mount everest at the beginning of this you people listening don't see this but at the beginning of this i showed Devin the map that i made for the game it's very cool that was like the last thing i had to do for the game. And then the only thing that needs to go with that is a map key. I need to write that map key. I could probably do it in like an hour, but the motivation's hard to find because the project is like done. It's mm. so close to being done and dusted that now everything I'm doing is just sort of like teasing around the margins. 
you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's little fixes here. It's polishing. It's just, it's pure polishing. And uh, by the time I get to the polishing phase of a game, I've often lost a lot of interest in it by that point, because that is the opposite of novelty. That, mm -hmm. that is, that is absolutely like the 180 degrees from novelty. It's something that's so familiar. You're not trying to change it. You're just trying to make it a little better in places. So yes, this is something I've encountered before. It's a challenge. It's an ongoing challenge. So when, when we were talking about novelty, you were talking really specifically, I think, about thematic novelty and, and yeah, that challenge of, of chewing on a new idea and then finding the, the new solution to the new problem, right? I think that's when it's at the, at the top. I'm curious if we, if we look at just your process, just things like when you write, how long you write for your environment, you know, whether you're using a writing partner or not, do you see novelty being a factor in, in those sort of more mechanical parts of your process as well? Oh, interesting. Yes, I think so. I, I've, so I do weird things to try to help that. Like, for example, I, I, I move my sp I physically move where I write. I'll write mm -hmm. in different places. When I, when, I, when I sit at my desk here in my office where I'm talking to you right now, when I sit here day in and day out and work, eventually it, it, if I do it too long, it starts to get harder to work because it's like when, the, when everything is too familiar, I don't feel like I have that motivation. You know, I'll do things like I'll get up, take my laptop, go upstairs and sit at the kitchen table and write at the kitchen just to be in a different environment. That seems to help, like little bits of novelty that way help. You know, I'll go over to, go over to my girlfriend's house and, and work up there. You know, there, there's all kinds of little things I can do like that that do seem to help at that very mechanical level. And sometimes that also means just sitting on the couch watching TV with a legal pad next to me so that if I have an idea, I can quickly jot it down. So yeah, I do. I do absolutely do things like that. I do little, little brain hacks to try to create novelty where none exists. Um, Have you tried that with Godlings? A little bit, yeah. I I should probably do more of that. Try it in different locations and that little thing. I also would do things like try. So like my brain kind of needs to be occupied multiple ways at once to work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, this is a common thing. Like writing in silence, impossible. Cannot be done. Sure. I need like music or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so one fun thing I like to do is like, I'm curious. It li I literally think of this as like combining flavors because it's like what's going in and what's coming out. So like if I put in Metallica in mm -hmm. one ear and the Hades soundtrack in another ear and then write while sucking on a lollipop, what will come out? Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> what if I put all these different like stimulus into my brain, what will, what, what will the output be from that input? So sometimes I, I like to do things like that where I mix it up and like, I'm going to listen to a different kind of music today when I write, or I'm going to listen to, or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to drink tea while I write today or just little tiny, anything to just change. And so it's different from day to day does seem to actually help. And mm -hmm. I could probably make more of a concerted effort to do that with this game. Certainly. Yeah. I'd be curious, you know, I, I guess just for like the fun of it, right. To ask what would it look like? What would it look like to, approach godlings in the most novel way possible like if you mm. if you could if you had to change everything about how you're attacking this project mm. you know without starting a new project what does that look like i'm so glad you threw in that caveat without starting a new project <laughs> yeah that's because the trick you know <laughs> that's the way it goes man that's the way it goes you know because i i have i mean since the time i started writing godlings i've started like at least five other games mm -hmm, since then mm -hmm. And, you know, a great way to distract yourself from one project is with another project. Mm -hmm. Do it all the time. And that's what's nice about the games that we write. We make these RPG snacks, as we call them, that are short. You know, they're only a few pages long. So if you come up with a new idea for one, you can crank it out fast and, and have a complete game, you know, pretty quick. But because of that, it, keeps, it will keep getting things, you know, put off and pushed back. So... What do you think that would look like, though, Dev? Like, if I went for the most novel thing possible, can you give me an example of, like, what, what do you think I could try to do with this to change the process? Well, well, tell me what your process looks like now. You know, walk me through. They always start... Godlings was a very late-night game. Uh, okay. That was, that was, one, that was a, a 2 a.m. writing thing. And that's... Oftentimes that happens because I get an idea that I think is really cool... And it might be late at night, but I'm like, if I go to bed, I'll forget this. 
and I, I gotta get it out while it's fresh. So I'll sit down at my computer and just start cranking stuff out. Godlings was always written... Godlings was almost always written late at night. It was, as I said, written by myself with no input from Anna or from anybody else. It's... What other part was... Typically, you know, right right here in, in the space I'm talking to you in right now in my office, I haven't really, yeah, mixed it up very much with how I approach writing it, I suppose. The big, I guess the really, just the, yeah, the high points is that it was always written here, right in this space, and it was almost always written late at night. And I don't know if I've done it any other way, actually, with that. So maybe there is something calling there to me to change it. Is there somewhere that you could go? And this is just... Exploring possibilities, right? Yeah. Just throwing stuff at the wall right now, right? Sure. Is there somewhere that you could go that would be close? Somewhere that you could go that might evoke some of the themes that you're interested in the game? Oh, interesting. Yeah, so like take some inspiration from a setting. Mm -hmm. Now that's interesting. Hmm. I would love... I feel like something grand would do it. Like, this is a game... You know, I'm focusing on pretty big themes here. Mm -hmm. And like I said, the, the the themes I was talking about with Hades are very much what I'm talking about here, of like being being trapped between worlds and interacting with primordial forces sort of beyond your comprehension. So it makes me want to like grab my laptop and go right somewhere. It's cold out right now. I live in New York. It's cold up here. But like I would love to be like in nature and <laughs> writing, like be outside. But anywhere that has... I feel like a large space might be interesting. Mm. Some place that has a grand scale that makes you feel small. Mm -hmm. You know, I think of some libraries are designed that way, but churches are a great example of that. Like church, church architecture is very much designed to make you feel small. That's like why it's there. You're supposed to feel like you're in the presence of something much larger. So I think a space, any space that evokes those kind of emotions might actually be an interesting place to try to work on this game, whether it be in a church or something, but like, I have a laptop, I can get up and go anywhere. Mm -hmm. That's a good And it one. also doesn't have to be the place that you work, right? You could just give yourself a, uh, you could take a day and just do a walking tour of a couple churches or mm. yeah, museums or whatever, whatever seems like it's going to speak to you. And Capture some of that energy? Yeah. That's interesting. I, I might, I actually will consider giving that a try. I think I will give that a try of just go, walking around a space, taking it in while while ruminating on those themes that excited me in the first place in the game. I, I actually think there's something to that. You know, I, I've done other things like that before um, mm -hmm. as part of a creative process of, of get out and just get out, clear your head a little bit, and try to take in something that inspires you. Um, mm -hmm. And that, that that's very interesting. So, yeah, there is definitely something to that. Like, being in a good space that speaks to your themes can really reinforce it, and I'm I think I, I will give that a try. I absolutely will. Yeah, and, and I encourage you to look for, for other ways where, you know, it's it's a curveball to both what what you're thinking about and a curveball to literally the mechanics of how you sit down and write and, you know, finding finding ways to, you know, some people need to find exactly the the thing that makes them do their best work, exactly the environment and scenario. And, and other people, I think, need to know how to shake it up, how to how to bring some newness. Yeah, because I don't think I have any one way that brings out my best work. I don't mm -hmm. think there's, like, a method that just does that. I've been trying to find it my whole life, and the more I've been trying to find it, the more I realize that, like, that works for, like, more neurotypical people, but not just doesn't work for me. Nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. uh, right. But, like, yeah, there is no set in stone this is the way that I write. I do have some ritual things I definitely do. Like, I always have books on my desk when I'm writing, like, that I don't touch or open, but it's almost like they're kind of like talismans. Like, if I if I mm -hmm. leave good literature near me, I will absorb it by osmosis. I don't know. I do things like that. I have little kind of superstition-y things I like to do, but there is no, I, I could do all those things and still not write a word. You know, there there is no one method. So I think there is something to the idea of actively actively mixing it up and actively mm -hmm. changing your process because doing the same thing every day doesn't work very well mm -hmm. and it gives you the opportunity to just it gives you the opportunity to just see what that changes see if that helps you make progress on godlings or not right mm -hmm. i mean what do you think though dev like here's my problem is like i feel like i i told you about this before like 
how I feel like I hit a wall with this project and that some of the excitement I had for it went away, right? Mm -hmm. You know, do you need to be excited about a project the whole time to continue working on it? Or is it okay to slog it out even when you're no longer excited about it? I think you deserve to feel good about what you're making. Mm. And I... I believe that you deserve to feel good while you're making it. And anybody can swim upstream and anybody can push the boulder uphill, but nobody should have to do that every day. Mm. And there's nobody that's making you do it, right? If you don't enjoy doing the work and it's your project that you assigned yourself, then, you know, you owe it to yourself to, to look for ways to make that more enjoyable. And in the long run, like anybody can, anybody can swim, swim upstream for a little bit, but in the long run, I think you're going to make better work if you find long-term sort of sustainable practices. So that's what, what I'm all about is, right. is finding the ways to really get in touch with what you enjoy doing when you feel good doing it yeah. and, and how to find your way back to that. Okay. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> So, so let me pivot a little bit because yeah. I also wanted to talk to you a bit about your strengths and what you enjoy doing and see what that brought to the table. Okay. And that's sort of sort of right where we're at already. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so tell me a little bit about something that you do really well, you know, what's your secret weapon or, you know, just going back to when does it really feel good? I love that feeling at the beginning of a project when it's, it's all anticipation and I'm and I first start putting words to paper, well, to a Word doc, and to a (laughs) Google doc. But I first start putting words down, and it's just begun, and it's just fun. It's just fun. It's just flowing. And of course, this this plays into everything I've already said, because that's pure novelty at that point, Mm -hmm. right? Like, it's straight up novelty, and there are, like I said, there are no bad ideas, and and I could just flow. And I find that some of my best ideas come out during that initial phase. Um, mm-hmm. that's when I have a lot of really, really good ideas. And that's when a lot of the, a lot of my strength, I think, start to show during that of making interesting people and populating a world and filling it out. Like I find that comes out heavily in the beginning and I just have fun and that, that, you know, when it feels good when I'm having fun and mm-hmm. it, it feels like the beginning of writing, the beginning of a project feels like play. It doesn't feel like work. It feels like play. It feels like I'm a kid again, like just playing with like my Legos and making things. And, and like when I work on a new project, that's how it feels. It feels like play. I feel like a kid again. And it's, it's the best fucking feeling in the world. It really is. And so like one thing I like to try to do in my work now is to like recapture that sense of play, Mm -hmm. a sandbox feeling of, you know, there, there is no. There's no structure. There's no, there, there's no, there's no, I'm not, I'm not working to a prompt or anything like that. There's no set order in which these ideas must come out. They can just come out. That mm-hmm. is when I'm having the most fun. And that's when it feels really, really good. Mm-hmm. So how can you bring that back to your work with Godlings? Well, I think one thing is to approach it in a, in a way that's structureless. Mm. I, you know, I get annoyed with myself with this because sometimes this means that ideas come out very scatterbrained and scattershot and like they don't always fit together nicely and it, it's going to require more editing down the road. But I think one way I could approach this game is to just start writing and don't worry about what it's going to be used for or if it fits perfectly, but just have fun, you know, like just, just play, just start combining Lego blocks mm-hmm. and, and see what comes out. I think I could probably serve to do more of that with this game and not worry so much about, does it flow nicely as an SRD? You know, just, just, just write and have fun with it. One of the other things that I teach is about all or nothing thinking. And yeah. all or nothing thinking is a mindset that often can get in our way. And so I'm curious as I listen to you, whether you have a structure of your work where at the beginning it's all fun and then at a certain point it becomes all work yeah no 100 percent, 100 percent. you absolutely know yeah it it it's it's all fun it's all play and then once it's so it's all play and then once it becomes more concretized once there's something in front of me that it now looks like a document it it turns into work and it mm-hmm. ceases to be play and that Honestly, if I were to like really 
nail down what happened with Godlings and why it hasn't been picked back up, that is almost certainly it. I think you nailed it. That's pretty mm. much it. It became work. How do I make it not work? <laughs> <laughs> By making it more play, right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Because the thing is, the thing with that that sort of all or nothing modality, I mean, the first thing I would ask is, is that true? And the second thing I would ask is, does it have to be true? Yeah. Is it true that it's all work? No. Like, especially because the fact that, like I said, there's no deadline and no one... No one's expecting this on their desk by noon. Like, mm-hmm, it, it's, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, this isn't like my lawyer days. Like, right. I'm not going to get a file thrown at my head like I did back then. Worst bosses in the world. You know, it, yeah, it, it, there's no deadline. There's no, no one's expecting this. It can, it doesn't have to be work. It can mm-hmm. be play. And I can just continue approaching it like play. And then eventually when I've played enough and there's enough content, then I can start treating it a little more like work, but what you're what you're saying here though is that it's all or nothing is there a a type of mind state of a fusion of work and play that can be achieved here yeah yeah so i teach that as as flexible thinking mm-hmm. and the you know if we were if we we're going to have sort of a long term process together i would i would also ask you to look for whether this all or nothing thinking shows up in other areas of your life mm. and and equally looking for are there places where you don't have that, where it's really easy to have a flexible mindset and look for how can you, how can you build sort of that mental habit of when you, when you feel yourself backed into that all or nothing corner, reminding yourself that you always have the option of, you know, is there a third way to do this? Is there, is there a flexible way to think of, can I have, can I have a little bit of both, right? Can I mix them together? You know, what is, is, do you think there's a benefit over when you approach something with a more work mindset as opposed to a more play mindset, do you gain something from that or is there all loss? I think that's a question that has to be answered on an individual level. And the reason that I say that is because something like all or nothing thinking can work in the short term. Mm. And it's, and the way that I teach it isn't to say that it never works because <laughs> that would also be all or nothing thinking, right? Fair. Yeah. So it's not to say it doesn't work. It's not to say that it's always harmful. It's really, I come at it from a space of curiosity mm. where it's like, is that mindset working for you now? And is that the only way to think about it? And so when I teach mindset work, I really encourage people to think of it as a different option for how to look at your project. Mm-hmm. It's like just, try a different option and see how that feels. And if you get the same amount of work done, but it feels a little bit better, why wouldn't you make that change? Right, 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 right. So like, you know, with Godlings, there may come a day down the road where it may pay to look at it more as work than than play, I suppose, right? Like, it's possible. I, I could see that, you know, when you reach the polishing phase, like where I am now, where it's like, you just gotta get it done. Like there's no, maybe that, maybe that's better, but I, it, I do think I'm a little allergic to work. So maybe work, approaching things with a work mindset may keep me away from them a little bit. Mm. Um, I think that makes me get, I think when something becomes work, when it feels obligatory, like mm-hmm. I don't have a, I don't have an out, I don't have a choice to do it. It starts to feel not fun anymore. That's a, that's a killer of fun. Well, and the thing that happens, the insidious thing about the all or nothing thinking, right, is when you're, if, if that's what's at play here, and you're in this, I'm now at the work stage of godlings, then in my experience, what I do when I'm in that stage is that I make it the workiest work possible. And I tell myself, it has to be done all of a sudden, because now we're in work mode, it has to be done in these strict ways, and there's no room for any kind of joy or flexibility. Mm, mm-hmm. And so I would say it's not about whether it is or it isn't work. It's really about like, just because something is more more arduous or takes more toil, it's not your favorite part of the project, doesn't mean it has to be like as painful as you can possibly make it. Right. <laughs> right. And you, you're still allowed to bring in some of this novelty like we've been talking about and find, find ways to shake it up, find ways to make it feel... Like, is it going to be the most fun part of the project? No, but that doesn't mean you have to make it as, as painful as possible for yourself. Sure, sure. <laughs> you don't have to make it hurt. And so just be on the lookout for if you're, if you're making it harder than it needs to be because you think of it as work, mm-hmm. you know, just notice that and, and see if there's other options. 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of this comes down to just being mindful of being mindful of the way that you are thinking about your work, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what container are you putting your work in? Yes. Yeah, I shouldn't even say your work, but your project, whatever it is. Right. Right. Yeah, and and I think, I definitely think I'm not super mindful of that all the time, and that probably does affect me, not just with this game, but with other games, and like. What you just said about making it the workiest work imaginable sounds like hell on wheels to me. <laughs> awful. I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, I wouldn't want to do that. So I've I've had a had a great time talking with you. This has been a really really good conversation. Hopefully, it's been some help, give, giving yeah. you some new things to think about as we wrap up. As we wrap up, my last question for you is sort of to to zoom back into the daily behaviors mm-hmm. and to to come out from the <laughs> universe of options into where you're at right now what do you think is the the best place for you to put your energy to put your effort either with this project specifically or with your creative process in general mm. i'm really i'm really hung up on this notion of allowing for more play and so i think so you get into this place sometimes where when you when you really feel like you're sharpening your ideas, where you don't want to... It's almost like you... Well, okay, I, don't, I shouldn't say you, like me. I know this happens to me. I don't know if I want to put this evil on anybody else. But, like, this happens to me where I get perfectionist and I don't want to put words down unless I feel like they're the right words. Because I already have such a... Like you said, like, my vision of Godlings is quite clear. I have a pretty specific vision of what I want. Mm-hmm. And... I have such a specific vision that sometimes if I write something down and I feel like it doesn't meet that vision, I may as well just not write it. You know, there's no point. It, it's not it's not meeting my vision. And sometimes, I, I do know that experience has taught me that sometimes putting down just any old idea, that idea is, is good because that idea, that thing you write down, may over time evolve into what you want it to be. But it's it's got to start somewhere. you got to have something down. So I think for putting my energy into this project, for Godling specifically, is to just approach it not like, like I almost think I need to take my vision of it, like I need to keep my vision of it clear. You know, maybe I'll make like a Pinterest vision board or something, but keep my vision of what I want it to be clear, but then don't be shackled to it in such a way that it keeps me from actually working. Instead, approaching it with a sense of play and a sense of novelty of like let's just screw around and just see what comes out and just put words down and so like energy would probably be best energy would be best spent here on just sitting down with it and just and just coming out and just putting out what comes out and 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 having fun and being okay with the fact that it doesn't have to be perfect and that it doesn't have to perfectly service my vision having that kind of acceptance of just like as long as you keep writing, eventually you can sharpen and it can become better. And I also think I need one thing I would, a big takeaway I'm taking from this conversation, by the way, is I need to stop getting so hung up on everything needs to be novel. You know, mm. particularly when we were talking about novel mechanics, you know, I think I'm going to try moving forward to set that aside a little bit and say, you know, like I said to you before, if you can't make your own store bot, it's fine. Work, work with work with what's in front of me, and then maybe I can change it. You know, maybe mm-hmm. I can take something that's well-established and fuck with it. And, you know, add some little things here and there until eventually it morphs into something unrecognizable. But for now, there's there's plenty of great mechanics out there. There's no shortage of material to adapt from. And a lot of it would service my vision. So I should probably just let that happen rather than trying to fight it and trying to be like, no, it must be all original or nothing. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think that's, I don't think that belief and I don't think that that having that as a background principle is doing me any good. I don't, I don't think it's helping me at all. I don't think it's, I don't think it's funny enough. I think it's doing the opposite of what I want it to do. I want to have original mechanics. Instead, I'm getting no mechanics. Right. <laughs> you know, when I could just have some ones that are already baked and I could, uh, I could change them a little bit and come up with something new. But mm. I, I don't think that, yeah, st- holding steadfast to that is not accomplishing what I wanted to accomplish. And I think it's something, as a creative, I just need to let that go a little bit. Sounds good to me. Yeah. 
Colin, again, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Is there anything else you want to leave for the listener? Are there ways that folks can keep up with you or, or help support this project or your other work? Yeah. Well, thank you, Devin. This was great, man. This was actually good. I've not had a chance to talk to anyone about this project other than Anna. And Anna, it's gotten to the thing where, like, Anna knows to almost not talk about it. Like, don't ask about it. <laughs> okay, okay. So, like, having a chance to just talk to somebody about my vision, this is something, you know... If you're a creator listening to this, sign up to talk to Devin because this is something that we don't get to do very often of just talk about our vision and what we want out of our project. At least, we I mean, we can do it. No one's listening most of the time. And heaven forbid they're not, they're not talking back, you know. This is something we don't get to do. But just being forced to articulate aloud what it is about your project that excites you does things for you. I think it really does. And just this conversation has made me realize again, you know, all over why that project was exciting to me in the first place and how I can kind of get that back. And I think that's a huge benefit. So like really honestly, thank you, Devin. Like this is this is great. Much appreciated. I'm really glad to hear it. Yeah, it's working. You're working. It's doing yes. it. <laughs> Your coaching method works. And uh, if you want, if you're curious about Godlings and the other stuff that I make, you should check us out on Twitter. We are six string. Uh, that is the number six, and then string games like the number of strings on a guitar. So that is six string games on Twitter. You can also find us on Patreon, Patreon.com/sixstringgames, where you can see everything we're working on. Like I said, we come out with a new game every month. We already have, our first game is called Ray Cats. It's a game about irradiated nuclear mutant cats. It's very silly. It's very fun. Coming up after that is going to be a game called The Trees Tell No Tales, which is a found footage Blair Witch Project style game that I'm very excited for the world to see. So we would appreciate your support if you become one of our subscribers. You get all of these games, all of our games that come out every month. You get the new one every month. You get it a week before it's public, so you get to preview it. And we would just really appreciate the support. So look us up and hope to hope to see all of you out there playing some six-string games in the future. Thanks again to Colin for coming on the show today. And honestly, just thank you, Colin, for being one of the first people to believe in this podcast and support what I'm trying to create here. This has been the first episode of What Are You Not Working On? A creative coaching podcast. I am your coach, Devin Preston. If you want to find out more about coming on the show and being a guest, the best way to connect with me right now is to head over to Instagram. You can follow me at Dev Preston. Shoot me a message and I'll be in touch. If you want to find out more about my coaching and my overall method, you can find out all about that at devinprestoncoaching.com. New episodes of What Are You Not Working On drop every two weeks, so come right back in a couple of weeks for a conversation with Anna Goldberg, the other half of Six String Games, and find out what she is not working on. The song you're listening to right now is Onward by Vind Svep, used with a Creative Commons license. And this is the part of the show where I just throw out all the thank yous that I need, so thank you to Brian, Arisa, Colin, Anna, Dustin, Jeff, uh, Taji, uh, all of my coaching cohort, Robin, Andrew, and anybody else that I'm forgetting. And until next time, stay curious and shine on.